Trust me, I'm like a smart person. From The Conversation, this is Trust Me, I'm an Expert, a podcast where we ask the academic experts to surprise, delight and inform us with their research. I'm Sananda Cray. Well, the dust has truly settled on Scott Morrison's surprise victory in this year's federal election, but opinion is still divided on exactly what happened in Queensland. Why did Labor perform so poorly in the Sunshine State? Is Queensland an inherently conservative part of Australia? During the whole campaign, were Southern-born politicians talking about and to a state that they essentially didn't understand? And Quexit jokes aside, is it time to redraw state lines in Australia or even add new states? Today on Trust Me, I'm an Expert, we bring you a discussion organised by The Conversation, recorded at Avid Reader Bookshop in Brisbane and broadcast by Big Ideas on the ABC's RN. In this chat, political scientist Anne Tiernan from Griffith University speaks with the University of Southern Queensland's John Cole, who has research expertise in the history of Australia's Federation. Host Paul Barclay began by asking about the biggest misconceptions floating around out there about Queensland. Oh, Paul, there's so many misconceptions, but uh, so it's hard to choose the biggest one. But for me, uh, one of the biggest is that Queensland's a parochial backwater that hasn't changed. Um, And it reminds me of that generation of Australian expats who left in the 1950s for the UK and then were the commentariat about a place that they actually didn't know very well because they hadn't been here. And I think Queensland has changed enormously uh, in the last 30 years, and this is a 30 anniversary of the Fitzgerald inquiry. Half the people who live here now came from other places. We don't even call you Mexicans anymore. Um, so I think that kind of misconception that, you know, of sameness, that, you know, there's this great sort of shadow of Joe, and it's just not true. Mm. Um, this is one of the most um, sort of dynamic, creative economies. I think, you know, if you think about the area that we're in and the literary culture that has come out of Queensland the extraordinary film culture that's happening here. There's a lot of diversity, of course. There's always been diversity. But this notion that it's completely unchanged is belied by the reality that half the people who've come here, you know, in the last 30 years, have actually encountered many of the same dilemmas. And I think John will talk about Mm. this. Some of the things that make Queensland different are inherent to regionalism, Mm. are inherent to size, scale, decentralisation, all of those kinds of things, not to some weird political culture although settlement does matter and we mm. might come back and talk mm. to that. So yeah. I think there's there's a misconception and it's a lazy one. David Maloof talks about Australia, you know, people having this image of Australia as being brown and dry, but his Australia was green and verdant and subtropical because it was here. So I think there's just that incapacity to understand the diversity of the nation because everything's through the prism of the southeast of the country. And John, your take on what the great misconceptions are about Queensland? There are two, Paul. Uh, One is that Queenslanders uh, are different to other Australians. Um, Queenslanders are Australians, uh, and it doesn't matter where you are, there's no doubt in my mind that we've got a strong sense of nationalism or affinity to the country, just like anyone else. The other misconception is that uh, people in regional areas think and act and live differently to the way people in cities. Interestingly, tonight I tweeted earlier in the week that I was going inside the goat cheese curtain, the Bernard Salt (laughs) boundary that surrounds West End and other parts of inner city. Um, I was going to be inside and one of my uh, friends at Roma tweeted back saying, make sure you tell them that we eat goat cheese (laughs) uh, 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 and, and that... Uh, and that we care about things just as much as anyone else, and they we want pretty much the same things. Too. They do. Actually, goat cheese goes rather well with those lovely Roma tomatoes, I must so say. I, I've got to tell you, West End, you don't have a mortgage on goat cheese, um, which is, I think, an important point, because there is this misconception that somehow people are very different. Uh, people have different, uh, different experiences and different contexts, as Anne has said, and they are very different. And a lot of it in Queensland has to do with the simple size of this state, which I'd like to state th- to start the night by saying we are bigger than Western Europe. We're 1.7, nearly 1.8 million square kilometres. You can put all of Western Europe into Queensland and still have room over. That's phenomenal, isn't it? Mm, it's extraordinary. And we have a capital city where most people live in what they said in the 1890s was the big toe of our state. I mean, that creates its own dilemmas. Mm. 
So is Queensland conservative? Well, on the one hand, <laughs> you could argue that. Uh, and Labor federally has never had, uh, you know, uh, it's only very occasionally had a lot of uh, success. On the other hand, at the state level, uh, Labor has been in power for a very long time. Historically, the Labor Party was formed in mm. Queensland under the tree of knowledge in, in Barcaldon, you know, sadly later poisoned. And, you know, the first Labor government was elected here. So that's a bit inconsistent to say that it's conservative. It depends. I tell you what, the voters understand their power here in mm. a way that I don't know. And mm. I think our experience of uh, the 2012 <clears throat> election and then you think the extraordinary swing away from the Newman government in 2015 tells you that Queenslanders understand the power of their vote. Two um, conservative Liberal National Party governments in Queensland since the Fitzgerald since report. Since the Fitzgerald report. 25 years That's of right. Labor rule out of 30 That's right. is not really what you would think would characterise a state no. that outside of Queensland is considered That's conservative. Right. Redneck, in fact, in some parts of and, the country. And, you know, a woman Premier, second woman Premier, you know, many women in the Cabinet. So so these these ideas are, are not actually consistent with experience. No, I mean, they reflect in part, demography. Mm. They, they reflect... The, I remember being at a farmers' uh, meeting some years ago when Mike Horan was the leader of the opposition and he walked in to give them a, a reminder that their political power would only get less in future because the simple reality is that mm. agriculture of all the sectors has been most successful in depopulating itself through innovation uh, and that more people would live in urban electorates. So mm. the idea that you could have a party specifically constituted to represent farmers was in itself a political nonsense. So, you know, there's, there's no doubt. I mean, we're volatile. We'll, we'll throw people out. Mm. The, uh, you know, as Richardson would say, the mob get it pretty quickly and, mm. and, and they, abs they act absolutely. Um, I think it was Goss who said, you know, they'll come back with baseball bats. With baseball bats, bats yeah. Um, we invented the term baseball bats for politicians. <laughs> so there's no doubt that... On when, verandas, when, if people <laughs> remember the evocative <laughs> metaphor. When know, Queenslanders so. take a view on something, as they've done, some of this has to do with the current Queensland government too. I mean, to say this is all federal is nonsense. Mm. Yeah, it's mm. interesting, isn't it? I mean, mm. if you look at the seats that Labor didn't win federally, many of those same areas are held by Labor state members and mm. have been yeah. for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. How, how, how do we explain that, John? Anne, any thoughts on that? Well, I think Clive Palmer had something to do with it, Paul, and I yeah. think the One Nation Party preferences and the way they flowed actually really explains that uh, in lots of ways. But also the appeal, you know, people were just, I think, um, concerned about the transition. There was mm. a lot of, you know, binaries in the election that probably didn't need to be there. Mm. Uh, and I think as Labor does its campaign analysis, if we ever see it. I always hope they release them. You know, as they do that, they'll have to think about how effective their campaign was. It's in not just that, though, is it? I no. mean, when Anastasia Palaszczuk talks, whether you mm. support her or not, uh, she speaks as a Queenslander to other Queenslanders and there's a sense that she at least understands mm. the state. Mm. John, did you get the sense that often when some of the Labor leaders and uh, senior Labor people spoke that sometimes they were speaking about a place they didn't understand? Yes. There's, uh, firstly, the, the, the federal Labor message was... There were multiple messages, um, uh, and uh, they managed to conceive a campaign that antagonised a lot of people, more people than you normally need to antagonise to win an election. Um, <laughs> uh, and they did a very good job antagonising regional Queensland. Uh, and... and um, what I think happened was that it took a while for this government, to the Queensland government, to stand up and say, we are actually Queenslanders, we want these jobs. Now, this is what I was saying earlier, that things got conflated. It then became a, almost a perception of tribal wars, that, mm. you know, the bush was under siege, uh, those uh, urban elites were telling us how to live our lives, yep. they, they wanted us to have a future, but the, the, a future without jobs. I mean, we're hearing we can't have jobs of the kind we do at the moment and are employed in, mm. uh, but no-one's telling us what we're going to do if we don't do these things. So mm. there was this right. remoteness and distance. And yet uh, those elements were actually in the Labor policy, the just <laughs> transition, you know, there were lots of elements that were actually there in the policy, but they just didn't explain it very well, I don't think. Mm. And, you know, um, I don't think we can rule out either. Bill Shorten just was very Victorian. 
Yeah. There is still a historical antipathy a bit to the unions, and I mm. think that's kind of it. And also, Paul, the workforce in some of those communities are now independent contractors. Yeah. They're not necessarily the workforce that was traditional labour. So I don't think labour's come to grips with that yeah. in some ways. And let's face it, labour's result was bad all over the country right, on election areas, night. Yeah. People singled out Queensland. Yeah. Was it really that bad in Queensland compared to other states when you crunch the numbers? So the reason why it looked bad in Queensland was because the most marginal seats were here and everybody, the ultra marginal mm. seats were here. So all of us expected, um, and of course the polls were showing, and that's another kind of old story. They were, uh, you know, we really thought that some of those ultra marginal seats like Capricornia and Ford and Petrie uh, would fall um, and that just didn't end up happening. I think, you know, the result was bad in Tasmania in northern Tasmania. Mm. The result was bad in Western Australia. Everywhere where people have concerns about their economic future um, and didn't feel that that was reflected in the kind of discussion or the convoy coming up from the mm. inner suburbs of, you know, Fitzroy to mm. tell people. And I don't think it was only people in Clermont who were offended by that, actually. Mm. People everywhere were offended by it mm. uh, outside of Fitzroy. Well, it played um, into that trope, mm, didn't it? Yes. And I think it's a tiresome stereotype. People are sick of it. And, you know, they want a more sophisticated discussion. Well, it really did demonstrate that somehow this was a, a lifestyle or culture thing. Uh, and people, again, felt diminished and, and patronised by that, that you could come up and tell us, you know, um, drive into our town, uh, expect to use our showground and, and, and while you're there for three days, uh, use our facilities and tell us that we're a hopeless mob that uh, uh, was out of business because uh, of a particular view. And, and you know, it's a scientific view which I personally subscribe to. I think yeah. climate change is a major issue and we, we, we need action on it. Mm. But we're not going to get it by having culture wars. Mm. And I don't think people were necessarily rejecting the proposition because, let's face it, they've had a series of natural disasters that make them pretty confident that, yep. you know, things are changing. But there was, it was just either or. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, I think the construction of that was very, uh, was very negative. And that was very damaging, do you think, for... I mean, even though it was Bob Brown who was leading that convoy up north, uh, the anti-Adani convoy, so it was ostensibly a, a pro-Greens campaign. Nonetheless, Labor was, was tarnished by that. I, yep. Also, let's face it, Labor's position on Adani yeah, was very was unclear. Very unclear. Wasn't it? Yes, because uh, they're hopelessly wedged between a constituency that's fragmenting. Um, hopelessly wedged on that. And there is no necessarily way of reconciling that. And I think, you know, they're trying to get to a new economy sort of discourse, uh, inclusive growth, some of these other ideas, but people can't see what that translates to programmatically or what that actually looks like we, in practice. We've, we've had a simple economy, if you like. It's been the four pillars, mm. you know, agriculture, tourism, mining. Educate well. Education's a major and one, yeah. and construction. Education I mean, was, the, was the fifth one that Newman left out of the exactly. agenda in 2012. And rightly points out the the view on unions. It, it, going back a hundred years, interestingly, Southern Queensland voted two to one against federation for the very reason that it felt threatened and was vindicated, in fact, by what happened. Our manufacturing and secondary industries were decimated by mm. southern interests. So, in fact, if you like, federation enshrined for Queensland a future that was dependent on mining and agriculture mm. And, of course, construction, and construction to a lot of people means the CFMEU, mm. um, the most militant leftist union, if you like, in terms of public perception, mm. which, again, for the politics of Labor, wouldn't, indeed, wouldn't have endeared them to mainstream Queensland because mm. we aren't a complex economy with lots of different unions all over the place, like you might have in Melbourne. Um, it's, a, it's, it's pretty much construction or... Uh, the AWU still in what's left of, um, of wool. Mm. I think there's a really important point that I've kind of been surprised hasn't come up more. The 2013-14 budget was very punitive to Queensland in lots of ways, the Abbott hockey budget, particularly in, if people remember, cast your mind back, the asset recycling fund mm. that you were only eligible to access if you had done asset sales. Now, what do we know is mm. the most toxic issue in Queensland, yeah. apart from convoys mm. coming and telling you what to do? Uh, mm. It's marketisation and asset sales. Mm. I've always thought that there should have been more discussion about the legacy of that in terms of infrastructure because it just wasn't possible to build any. You know, I mean, not that Abbott and Hockey got away with it kind of in the end, um, although Morrison has to some extent. I just think that really hasn't been pursued in terms of the pattern of, of expenditure. Mm. There's something else that follows from that. Uh, which is another trend, uh, and, and Anne's right in terms of it's a bipartisan, cross-community view that 
uh, we are very conservative on state ownership of utilities, something I've ag actually personally argued against. The other thing is that both sides of politics in this state, in a place the size of Western Europe, we have been successful in stripping government out of the regions. Mm. You, you can't expect people to trust and engage with government when government doesn't exist there anymore. Mm. Um, Newman did it, but it also happened under Goss. It's happened progressively as we've downsized, we've removed extension and frontline services from the regions. I think at the moment in panic mode, the current government thinks that we better get back there. So you'll knock over a minister on the way to the airport at the mm. moment because mm. they're all, all out there getting mm. on aeroplanes, getting out to the regions. That's, that's a problem too. We have a, we have a uh, structural change in the format and context of government which has removed regional people further away from it. I mean, if you look at the seat-by-seat -seat analysis in Queensland, Labor has done badly everywhere except, I think, two or three seats yeah. fairly close to the city in Brisbane, Here including this one, yeah. uh, where we are right now, where the vote went up. But their primary vote is diabolical. Yeah. It's sub-30. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think they really have to ask themselves the question about that. Some of that's about candidates. Some of that's about, you know, the drift to the Greens and, and other things. But their primary vote, you can't win yeah. from, from there. And they yeah. needed to win a lot, a lot of those seats. But interestingly, they did equally as badly in the regions as they did in the suburbs, when I would have thought in a place like Queensland the issues would have been different for suburban Queenslanders and regional Queenslanders, you're shaking your head, John. Uh, maybe like not. everyone, I was watching the polls, and I remember Shane Newman asking me uh, hmm. a couple of weeks before the election, "How do you think I'm going?" And I was saying, "Shane, you're fine." You know, I'm I'm looking at the polls like everyone else, and uh, but he knew, and and I guess I knew too that in his seat in Blair, just west of Brisbane, here, you've got a uh, you've got a, a Labor block that in an instant will become One Nation voters, hmm. uh, and that's what happened. I mean, he had five candidates against him. Normally they'd fragment, but he got a he got a, a bizarre vote there, which tells me, of course, that the culturally again they were lining up. Perry Urban, South East Queensland, was lining up with the folks in Barcaldine or wherever else, resenting uh, what the same happened in Longman, uh, Caboolture. You'd expect mm. these seats to be safe Labor seats. Newman took uh, Blair against Abbott in two two 2013, but this time there was a major swing against him and he's, he's now got a marginal seat. Longman is an outer suburban Brisbane seat that at the by-election late in 2018 swung to Labor by about three and a half percent. So significant was that swing, it preempted the leadership challenge within the Liberal Party. Yep. Malcolm Turnbull lost his job. Scott Morrison was elected uh, by his party as Prime Minister. Then we have a general election and they win that they seat win that back seat again. Back. Yep, yep. Can so, you explain what happened there? Well, I think I think we're going to have to wait until the Australian election study reports because one of the things we know in the same-sex marriage um, referendum um, plebiscite, it wasn't a referendum, same-sex marriage plebiscite was huge numbers of young people flooded onto the rolls. There's some early indications that young people didn't turn out the way we thought they would and in some of those seats, quite interestingly. There's also, we need to have a look at the way um, different ethnicities voted in the election. So this, this undercurrent of religion, of, the, you know, and this is sort of being reported by some of my colleagues working on the election study uh, and, and some of the trust data are saying those themes were really there. I mean, there is a very big Pentecostal community in and around Longman, in and around some of those communities. Mm. Uh, and I think we have to give it to the Liberal Party that they were very effective in mobilising. I thought there might be a backlash in Ford, which is a very mm. multicultural seat held by Bert Van Manen. I thought when he sided with Dutton in the leadership challenge, that would be ta catastrophic for mm. him in that suburb, in that electorate, but it wasn't. Mm. So there's something about the combination of the anxieties that the coalition mm. harnessed, and let's not underestimate how much they used incumbency, mm. uh, and I think they understood. We all thought the Liberals had no money from um, the 2016 campaign when Malcolm had to tip $1.5 million in or whatever it is. When those returns come in in terms of the donations, because it's not like real-time donations here in backward Queensland, um, We'll have to wait until February, March to know, and I think that will be extraordinarily interesting in terms of where the money came from. And when you put the crosshairs on a, a vast spectrum of interests, you, yeah. you can only expect sure. your opposition to suddenly find itself well-funded. 
and I think there's, mm. there's a bit of that too. Mm, sure. that people felt threatened and suddenly that mobilised reaction. But I think if you put aside the, the, just the, the political aspects of it, and you rightly pointed out that you know, the LNP primary vote in itself uh, wasn't spectacular, mm. it, was the, it was this uh, consolidated two-party preferred, that still tells me that there's, there's a, a, a fundamental issue of, uh, of governance, not yeah. government, governance, mm. in a place like Queensland where uh, you know, we didn't participate in the federation debate of the 1890s because we were too busy arguing about our own federation. <laughs> um, you know, that Northern Queensland voted for federation because they were promised a dud deal by the South, which said, if you come in, we'll give you a, your own state. Yeah. Uh, and when you're in Townsville or Cairns, it doesn't ma- they don't make a difference mm. between Brisbane and Canberra. Yeah. There's still this sense of... Uh, a, a lack of, well, it's a sense of powerlessness, in fact, that the decisions are made by people are far away, whether it be Canberra, but particularly George Street, um, without real representation. And as I've written in places, you know, the Americans had a war of independence on that principle, you know, represent, taxation without representation. And this really is something that isn't understood fully mm. outside of Queensland. The whole movement for a northern state... It, it exists to this day. It, it keeps it keep rearing, keeps rearing. It's at the catters are yeah. still very much pushing George that Christensen. idea. He's in Parliament because he's the Catter Party, uh, and the Catter Party, if you like, Kennedy, as we know it. Uh, sometimes it's been Labor, sometimes it's been uh, uh, Coalition. It's um, uh, and interestingly, McGrady held Mount Isa for years as the local state member. Uh, again, you've got complexities here that don't simplify to, if you like, blue mm. and red. Mm. It's this sense that somehow uh, we are providing the resources for the broader community, but they don't get expended here. And the work that we've been doing in our Clean Growth Choices Consortium that I've got with Syro and James Cook, looking at helping communities in regional Queensland look at economic adjustment. When we do the global megatrends, uh, and there's many of them, there's digitalisation and globalisation, the one that people pick up mostly is disparity. This is from the CSIRO work of, yeah. of growing disparity. And the disparity they're talking about is not so much between rich and poor, it's between people far away in cities and us. Mm. And, and, it, and it's, it is a, it's a governance dilemma. And look, it's something that if people haven't read Gabrielle Chan's book about mm. this, Rusted Off, she captured this really, I think, very well, um, mm. you know, 18 months, two years before other people were talking about it. It's a, it's a terrific analysis of this, I think. You think don't you, John, that Queensland was basically dealt a bad hand as a result of federation Mm. and it makes governance of this state particularly difficult. Is this basically because you think there really is at a fundamental level a lack of understanding of what's happening in the regions and what they need for their uh, their futures? It's partly. uh, One of my political heroes is um, John McCrossan, the member for Ravenswood back in the who died at the Constitutional Convention in Sydney back in 1890. Um, he, he was the person that took it up to Henry Parks and, and w- knew that Parks was, uh, was on, a, on, a, on a deal which was all about New South Wales. I think we should have more states. I, I think our states should be smaller and reflect more the regional communities and the regional economies. I don't think it has to be 50 like America, but it's certainly probably something like somewhere between 9 and 12. Is that going to happen? It, it's unlikely. But I tell you what, I mean, the, 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 the challenge we have as Australians, and it's part of this dilemma we have here with the dissatisfaction, is that our politicians are selling us such short sighted ideas, the, the idea of a conversation about are we equipped, are we uh, in, in the right place to go into the 21st century? Well, we're still looking at the 19th century for inspiration when really mm. uh, the fact is we've got the northern Australian uh, dilemma of what we do there. We talk about moving north and, 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 and building dams and doing all kinds of agriculture. It, that in itself is simplistic. Yeah. But if we think that we are going to be a, a state centred around uh, sorry, a country centred around three major metropolitan areas for the next 100 years, we are deluding ourselves. Now, one of the things we'll come to later in this conversation, because I think it's really important, is the idea of what decent future regional development mm. looks like in, in this state. And that's a, an idea of regional economies that goes beyond the next big mine mm. or the next big Absolutely. project. We'll yeah. talk a bit about that. But, Anne, some of the material that you sent me that I was reading about gave me a reappreciation of 
the history of Queensland and how it helps us to understand where we are today. One of the ways in which Queensland is different is that the regional towns and cities in this state existed to serve the industries of, of the inland, mm. the mining and agricultural... Uh, expl explain, explain that yeah, for us. Yeah, that's right. The patterns of settlement, and this is something I... Um, we wrote We wrote a piece on the hashtag Quexit uh, mm. experience in the conversation, and my mm. colleague Jenny Menzies, who uh, contributed to that and knows an awful lot about Federation, mm. um, is here tonight. Mm. Uh, and, and we went back and, you know, had to think about this this relationship that in, in Queensland actually is much more horizontal, the, the relationship between hinterland industry Industries and the the regional towns, um, you know, who are very dependent. So when when the economies of the you know of the Bowen Basin or whatever are going off the cliff, that's a big concern for people mm. in Mackay uh, and whatever. And you know, Gladstone when it's not going too well. So so all of those historical settlement patterns, um, you know, cemented a relationship much more at the, horizontally than vertically down to down to Brisbane. I just want to pick up something that John said because you know we can think about the trends in federalism in the 1890s and what they explain. But actually, we need to look at contemporary trends in federalism since World War II. So our federation is premised on the states having most of the power mm, yeah. and the Commonwealth powers being mm. enumerated. Mm. And what we know now is that inexorable trend to centralisation and this vertical fiscal imbalance that gives states actually very little um, capacity and they're running the big things that people care about, education, mm. health, you know, these really difficult kind of domains. And I'm not, you know, defending states necessarily. But you know, that trend and the loss of this idea of subsidiarity, people who are closest to mm. the issues, yeah. being involved in decision-making and input, the centralisation of administration and government is actually as problematic as some of those legacies of mm. federalism that came through from the original debates. So I think, you know, I think we mm. need to think about the... Fe you know, it's very unpopular to talk about federal reform, mm. but actually it's essential. Mm. And I think if, um, if Morrison doesn't understand that, you know, it could be a real uh, problem for him in this term because the federal government can't keep accreting responsibilities. Um, you know, we've seen this issue with building standards and, you know, sometimes the Commonwealth wants to own it and often it doesn't want to own it. We actually are going to have to have the, the, the tax return reform and the federal reform discussion. Um, but, of course, politicians and the press gallery are very hostile to states. They think that the Commonwealth... or They think that national equals Commonwealth. It doesn't. You know, that was what the Federation was for. I think, you know, I think the whole federalism, and you and I would think mm. federalism is very interesting, John, but, you know, there yeah. is a real contemporary challenge in that as well, I think. There's yeah. a current uh, discussion in regional Queensland about zonal taxation. It's as old as the, it's as old as the hills. Yeah. But it, uh, there is a compelling simplistic logic to it, mm. which is if, if we want to move as a continent beyond, or country beyond um, uh, settlement in just two major cities, where seven in ten new Australians live, by the way, Melbourne or Sydney, mm. well, then we need incentives to get people in business, particularly employment, mm. into those areas. What would you use? Well, in the United States, they, use, they do use zonal incentives. Uh, uh, parts of Europe have zonal incentives. So it might, there might be something in that. But we've got a very neoclassical view that mm. somehow uh, taxation is... Uh, the only way we reform it is to lessen it, and mm. it's one size fits all. It might be that we need more discreet uh, um, fiscal policy, economic policy in this space that actually uh, reflects the fact that, you know, we don't actually have a vision for Australia at the moment that includes regional Australia. Mm -hmm. We don't genuinely have a national vision. Uh, David Malouf talks about yeah. this in his book, uh, you know, he, as he ventured, you know, had we been settled by Russians and Poles, we might well have found ourselves living all over the place. But because we were settled by seafarers from a little place on the edge of Europe, um, uh, um, we have clung to the coast tenaciously mm. and we find it hard. And our economic... And this is reflected in Queensland. And another thing that annoys people, fly in, fly out. Yeah. That somehow we'll live in the, in the coast and just as they did in the 19th century, we'll go in and we'll take the resources, mm. export them, make money and leave the place buggered off. I mm. mean, it does raise the question, is That's that it. an attitude or is that a reality? I mean... Australia is a very urban country, as you say. We Always cling to the coasts and we've been depopulating mm. the centre mm. for over a century. There are many people who live in the regions who quite rightly would like to see opportunities for their kids, jobs for their kids, development of industries. But is it just the case that, unfortunately, people just do drift 
into urban centres because that's where they want to live, or are they forced to do so because the economic opportunities don't exist? Well, I think it's both. It's a kind of chicken and egg, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. Uh, but, but have a think about what housing unaffordability <coughs> in Sydney and Melbourne yes. are doing for places like Geelong, for yeah. places that, you know, were more regional. Um, and, of course, what matters then is transport. What matters then is accessibility. Mm. Um, and in Sydney, you know, lots of young people moving out to places like Orange or Goulburn um, where they can live affordably, and those towns are taking on a quite interesting character. Mm. So I think, you know, the thing I've always thought in terms of economic development, and, you know, John, mm. you're very expert on this, um, is the role universities could play yeah. uh, in this state by virtue of where they are and the economics of agglomeration uh, in terms of the, the attraction of knowledge workers. Think about our campus on the Gold Coast. Um, you know, you know. Now, there's a lot of very interesting things happening on the Gold Coast that didn't used to happen on the Gold Coast. Yep. By virtue of a, te a tertiary teaching hospital, a comprehensive university, and all of what that attracts. And, and why isn't that the case? I mean, you know, it's the mm. case in Toowoomba if you think about what's happening in and around mm. your campuses, John. So, you know, the, uh, James yeah. Cook, there's there's this tremendous capacity for economic development uh, that that does bring with it attracts knowledge workers, attracts better services, industries, and whatever. But there has to be a push factor as well as a pull a factor, strategy. and I think, yeah, yeah what a strategy yeah. indeed. It, it's about, John, isn't it, imagining a future for regional Australia and regional towns and cities in Australia beyond tourism, beyond no, right. mining, yep. beyond Low agriculture, pay. where the industries of tomorrow, there is yep. no reason no. why the industries of tomorrow cannot have the start-ups based no. mm. in Townsville, mm. in Cairns, in Rocky we and have, so forth. We have a, a great initiative at USQ and uh, it's called WIRE. It's a program for women entrepreneurs in regional Australia. and. Uh, because uh, we know this from work we've done in southwest Queensland, for example, where, believe it or not, they've just got 3G in the last couple of years. And uh, we've done a longitudinal study there uh, monitoring just how uh, connectivity, telephone, internet, how it's affecting things. Well, it means now you can use your FPOS at the window or a pub. That's the first thing. And that's important to them. But um, isn't that appalling that it's that, taken this length of time? That's indicative well, of the now, dilemma. But in that space of time, too, we found that while it does mean that people can do Facebook with their friends, etc., importantly, nine women have started businesses mm. in that region that yep. didn't have a business. Uh, women entrepreneurs, particularly in, in, in regions and remote areas, I was at a, a, a meeting the other night where we had people on Zoom coming in from near Cloncurry and uh, near uh, Springshaw. Women entrepreneurs connected to other women building businesses. Uh, some of them, you know, clothes, but uh, they're not all electronic products. They are tangible things that they sell globally. You've got, you've got women outside Bar Cauldron selling on, on Amazon, but they, they will only be able to do that if they have decent digital infrastructure. And decent digital infrastructure and regional Australia are two terms at the moment that are oxymorons. I think actually what you're saying there is if we want genuine regional development and new industries that are sustainable, that are clean, mm. green for mm. the future, mm. It will not happen without government leadership without in that area. Uh, and infrastructure. It doesn't always have to doesn't be government. It doesn't always have to be government, yeah. Who's but going to provide the infrastructure? Well, I don't know. The Wagners built an airport at Wellcamp. Yep. It's had a pretty interesting impact, John, that in you might talk about. Toowoomba, and in the way people see themselves. Sometimes things like that jump ahead of... Mm. Uh, I mean, I think the people of Toowoomba are still catching yeah. up with how much their region's changing. And it's not just because of Wagners, but mm. it, there's, a, you know, there's data banks. There's Tell us a bit about the airport. Mm. I, yeah. I think our, our listeners well, I mean, wouldn't that, know that, much that about happened, That happened because a, 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 a private sector firm, the Wagners in Toowoomba, a leading south-western Queensland family there, um, decided that they had the land. Uh, they could build an airport for their own business, but when looking at it, they thought, well, they could build a bigger airport because the one that is in Toowoomba uh, is that inadequate, even for their own business needs. They knew what had happened with um, uh, Sydney and Badgerys, uh, Creek, and, yeah. Badgerys Creek and how long that took and decided, well, the last place I'd go to to ask for a new airport would be government mm. because I'll be dead long before it's approved. Um, and so they built it themselves. Now, they had the resources to do that, mm -hmm. but they also had a supportive community and a vision. And importantly, this is the thing, a vision for how that region would develop, connect to other industries, yeah. value-adding uh, primary industries like horticulture, chill pack meat overnight to Hong Kong, this kind of thing, mm. the emergent middle class in Asia. They, they were connected into all these themes. Mm. That's the significance of that airport. 
Where is the vision for a renewed and resilient regional Australia? Neither Anne Tiernan nor John Cole see many indications of it coming from either side of politics. Young Nats are no different to young Labor people. They're all apparatchiks. They, they, they figure they play inside the system. You do the time, you get the yeah, seat. You yeah. know, it's, it's that kind of thing. Keep your mouth shut, you know, fit in, conform. Don't be too smart and too, too radical. If you want to look at... But a lot uh, of women are, are drifting off the National well, Party but, but and emerging as independents. A lot of people are drifting off mainstream politics generally. Mm. I, and if mm. you want to look for... I could show you farmers groups that are actually working yeah. on climate change, yeah. doing stuff yeah. themselves. Yeah. They get annoyed when someone in West End tells them that one law on vegetation management fits an entire state the size of Queensland. Mm. And by the way, we won't put government in your district, but we'll keep a satellite that watches you. Now, you can imagine how that mm. goes over. Mm. So it's not, just, it's not just a Dani, it's the way we approach things and simplify regional Australia to being, you know, a bunch of National Party... But as a, National Party, I worked for the National Party back in the 1980s with Ian Sinclair. It struggles, like every other party, to be relevant to its constituency mm. and it tends to over-promise and under-deliver and, and, and simplify unnecessarily because the folks out there would actually rather have an honest government that tells them how it really is and what they might be able to do if we do these things together. Mm. But they also sit on schemes like the Northern Australia Infrastructure Facility that has been sitting there for five years and has actually delivered very little. So I think, you know, mm -hmm. I agree, but I do think we do need to scrutinise um, the economic thinking, where those big programs exist. Telling people that the Bradfield scheme mm. is plausible is just ridiculous. Mm. So, no, you know, what no, well, well, that. I think it was yeah. talked about again at mm. the um, state it's conference. It's always talked about. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, so, that, I think there's a responsibility for people yeah. to yes. offer an actual plausible economic transition story. I mean, turning the rivers back raises its head all of the time. Yet what you what you don't what you don't hear talked about is something like for example, how do we raise the level of tertiary education hmm. amongst young people living in rural and regional yep. Australia? Yep. Um, we know every number that you can point to will tell you that your economic prospects are better the better educated yep. you are, yep. yet educational uh, uh, achievement at a post-secondary level it's, is stagnated it's, in, it's in rural and regional low, Australia. And it's one of the great disparities. So education along with health is one of the things that defines the disparity between regional mm. and urban Australia. Mm. And, and, and my university grapples with that because we frankly don't have enough uh, young people aspiring to education beyond schooling. And it's, I think it has a little bit, again, to do with narratives and self-fulfilling narratives. The more we talk about people being no good or there's no future, there's no hope or whatever, uh, and it's all too hard, uh, we, we make it self-fulfilling. I, I think this, in some ways, conflates almost with some of the Indigenous issues we've got to deal with too, because until we can actually develop a narrative and put in place not just the narrative, but, artif but artifices and infrastructure and people to connect to that makes it possible to, for young people. I grew up in Mergen in the 1960s and went to university. I am still one of the few people who mm. grew up in Mergen in the 1960s who ever went near a university, yeah. and certainly in Yarraman, where I did high school, certainly ever went to university because mm. it was just not something on anyone's radar. Mm. Uh, and so we have... But a there was a brief window when it was free when many people did go. Uh, and I think, you know, I mean, the equation yeah. about mm. the cost and the cost to families of having to send young people and then the income to address the, the hex debt just means that you don't go back. Well, um, this so is why the regional universities are so mm, important mm. and, and, and underutilised yeah. because the middle class of Toowoomba and other places whose parents went to university in UQ in the 1960s and 70s still send their kids down here. We've got but Rockhampton's the same, mm. Wagad would be the same, anywhere in regional, Fed U in, in Victoria, there's a whole raft of regional universities that are core to this that we need to build on. Now, the, the, the ceiling has had an impact on us more than yeah. anything yeah. because we are dealing with vulnerable people who are 
not as exposed to, mostly first and family. Still 50% of uh, my students at Springfield, for example, are mm. first and family. Wow. Um, and yep. so Mouse these too. people mm. need support. Uh, they need validation and affirmation in their decision to go to university and, and take, on, uh, take, it, take it on. It can be transformative, but it's, it's, not, a, it's not easy. It's also mm. not the only way. We've seriously disinvested in yep. vocational education yep. in those areas. Yep. Yep. And yep. so, you know, we did some uh, work in Gladstone, which post the uh, construction boom for LNG is just, it's just diabolical, mm. the, the unemployment and the household stress for young people who didn't, who left school and, you know, to go and work in the mines and they might have earned, you know, 90 grand and that seemed fantastic. But then as everybody else has fallen down the ladder, they're now trapped at home. They're not eligible for payments or they might get, you know, new start. Well, that's really going to help you, uh, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and then there's nothing there in terms of vocational education and skills for the next lot of projects that are coming. So those people will miss, those young people will miss that next wave. Mm. And I think this is, you know, there's been so much argumentation, the scandal of the vet fee help debacle in terms of opportunities that young people have been robbed of, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's just a real problem. We Good. really have, it's, it is, universities are an extraordinary economic development platform. We know that from left behind places in the US and the UK, there's immense work going on about universities as anchor institutions, thinking about with government and other partners about social procurement, things that you could be doing together to stimulate local economies. Mm. Um, and, you know, we are seeing a whole lot of really interesting unconventional alliances, as I like to think of them, um, of people just doing stuff because they're not going to wait. Um, exactly. And actually, that was the kind of improvisational political tradition that existed here and, and in Australia more generally, I think. So I think there's huge capacity in the not-for-profit sector, but it does require a bit of a catalytic ambition and a bit of strategy oh, and imagination. imagination. Yeah. Yeah, imagination. Keith Hancock, the great Australian historian who wrote the book Australia back in 1930, talked about how we were founded, you know, European settlement around the convicts. And he talked about Australians being different to others in seeing government as the great commissariat, <laughs> the place we went to for provisions. And when you think about that's how we, you know, European settlement started, it's understandable. When I'm in regional Australia, I, the first thing I say to government is, local government that is, is let's try to do something without first looking to George Street or Canberra mm, to do mm, it. Mm. Let's see what we can do ourselves. Mm. Resilience is about self-organisation. It's about uh, yeah. mobilising our own resources, doing as much as we can for ourselves. It's very Jeffersonian when you think about it. Doing the things we can for ourselves before we look to government. Mm. Uh, and, and, and it's a robust vision that you get. And, and so in the work we've been doing is so rapid in the Remote Area Planning Board, the seven councils in Western Queensland, they do have great ideas. They, they see themselves being a renewable energy uh, powerhouse. When we do workshops, unlike other places, their kids come from primary school and are part of the workshop mm -hmm. because they are passionate That's about it. wanting a place where their kids can actually if they go off to be educated, at least be able to come back and have their families. And they yeah. are no different to people no, in this indeed. room tonight. What, what help do they need? To, well, to, to make this a reality. Uh, if, well, you know, they, if need, it, they need to not have a meteor shower mm. of government programs, yeah, okay. you know, yeah. raining in on them yep. uh, that they then have to spend all their time and energy uh, dealing with while they explain over and over again what the issues they, are. They need, digi they need decent infrastructure. Yep. They yep. need yep. a conversation in government and in the community yep. which is not cargo cult. We have this development mentality that it's the next big project. Mm. It's why it's why TAFE struggles in places like uh, Gladstone because it, we have this boom bust yep, mentality. Absolutely. That, you know when when the, and the, it was when so the, predictable. The coal seam gas stuff happened in, in the Surat Basin. It stripped all the sparkies, all the electricians and trades out of existing industries because it could pay them a lot more. Mm. It's distortionary mm. and it doesn't sustain longer term. I'd rather. I'd rather be investing in these women's founding these nine businesses, uh, these digital businesses, these service businesses, uh, having a more complex community, a more complex mm. economy. So setting, setting aside, say, the arguments mm. around climate change, mm. just put that to one side, economically, you don't think the idea of a big Adani dropping in to a major well, regional uh, the, uh, community the, the, is the, the way the to go? The politics make it Adani, but it could be anything. It, doesn't, mm. it could be any big project. If we 
just build our uh, lives around the idea, and this is something that farmers grapple with. You know, they call it rain. <laughs> you know, it, it comes periodically, and it means that we have really an unusual kind of economic situation. Now, more generally, the resources sector is it's the same. They don't actually do anything until banks have approved the project because there's a market for something, and then they rush to do it. And it's a, it's the way they do it that drives the urgency. The government gets excited and overpromises all the jobs. We saw people build houses in Chintilla and places mm. like that on the basis of what premiers and other people said here in Brisbane and business about the thousands of jobs. Yeah. They were construction jobs. They lasted three, four years and that's it. They're and, gone. And we haven't even talked about mining automation and yeah. what impact that's yeah. going to have on some of those so, communities. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, look, we, uh, we've we done some very interesting work around the peri-urban, you know, Logan, around mm. the community of Logan. Um, and the university's very involved. But the thing that's extraordinary there, Paul, is, and, you know, it's what John sees all the time, is people have this extraordinary capacity to self-organise. Mm. Um, and they've got this amazing ability. But what really helps them, to go back to your question, is data, to be able to see mm. at a level of granularity, not having to, you know, take it at the high level, but actually accessible information about what's going on in their own place mm. um, so that they can understand that there's, there's this ne many children who aren't meeting developmental milestones and so we need to make an investment in that. Um, I think we can put that in the hands mm. of communities themselves and then they don't have to be contingent on, you know, bureaucrats flying in and out with no disrespect to bureaucrats. People Again, and this is the subsidiarity principle, right? You've got the most motivation mm. to deal with things in your own place, but you have to be able to understand it well. Um, and I think that's where you know un universities, yeah. other organisations have a responsibility. Mm. And I actually think that in the Queensland context, climate change adaptation and disaster resilience offer us extraordinary economic Absolutely. development opportunities. Mm. We know we haven't even talked about the economic cost year after year after year of All rebuilding. The Absolutely yeah. extraordinary, and the things that could be built into. The those um, infrastructures if they're damaged when, to make them more When, when um, people go effective. to the polling booths on election mm. day in Cairns and Townsville and northern mm. Queensland and they have listened to what the major parties have said to them and, you know, one party says, vote for me and we will mm. set up a big new mine and it will deliver X number of thousands of jobs. They are at least being offered some hope. Tangible. As opposed to the other side where they say, oh, this mine's terrible, it's going to ruin the world's um, environment. And it, it seems to me that there's not a lot of hope that's being offered mm. to people. I take your point. Mm. There are all manner of alternative industries yeah. out of um, the new climate mitigating you know, strategies that we need to take. Yeah. It's hard for people to imagine what job does that mean my son mm. can get right when now. he finishishes high yeah, school or, or uh, how, how, how do we go about offering a kind of tangible sense of hope for people does that come back to what you were saying before well, about I, I think we've got to end the cargo cult that's the first thing let's be honest with people and 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 actually think that we could have a conversation with uh, that's intelligent and 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 actually honest about the future and understand too that there's change. One of the things that annoys regional people is that when we talk about climate change, it's always about them doing the heavy lifting. Mm. If we're going to have a chat about uh, doing taking action, let's look beyond vegetation, for example, which has carried the Australian Kyoto performance since 1995, mm. Queensland's vegetation. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why it's so sensitive. And say, so, well, you know, we're not going to promise you a $50 reduction in your electricity bill. You know, the fact is, if you want action on climate change or whatever, it's going to be a community-wide cost. Uh, I think people feel that there's fairness, mm. that everyone's playing a role. The reason we've got having this conversation is that one part of the country feels marginalised and sectionalised in the way we reserve special things for them. Or one has ridden the wave of property investment mm. and mm. people are feeling wealthier and mm. they have super and whatever, and they actually just forget what it's like for everybody else, mm. that people have yep. negative equity in their homes mm. and cannot get out. And the absentee landlords have uh, are trying to get out and pushing their um, values even lower. So mm. I think there's sort of been, you know, a real lack of empathy. And, you know, I talk about a bit of a lack of respect Absolutely. for what We're... people are actually experiencing. And then, you know, and I, I do wonder too, Paul, about the loss of local media mm, in the yeah. kind of the storytelling and the local understanding of, of what's going on. You know, I walked here tonight and I live 
on the other side of the river. I live in New Farm and I walked pretty much the whole way along the river. Beautiful walk. Yeah. Uh, anybody who's, who lives in Brisbane or is familiar with it will tell you what a magnificent walk it is. You get to see, I've been doing it, that walk for 20 years, watching the city get mm. bigger and bigger, watching it get more and more affluent, actually, mm. watching the yeah. suburb that I moved into 23 years ago become so expensive, there's mm. no way in the world I could afford to no, live there. Right. And there'd be people in this room here in, in West End who could say the same thing. So mm. a lot of prosperity, a lot of affluence has yep. accumulated mm. around here in Brisbane, in, mm. in southeast Queensland, mm. at the same time as a lot of poverty and disadvantage right. has accumulated outside on the suburban fringes in the, in the regional areas. John, how much resentment is there and how much of a division in the state is there along, along those lines? I mean, you were talking about the fact that many people in regional Australia don't think they're understood. Again, I think, as I said, one of the misconceptions, uh, we are all Australians. Regional Australians are no, no less Australian than we are. Uh, and I think they are committed. What they want is, is tangible signs of real investment. You know, when we talk about vegetation management, for example, and I'll use that because it's, a, it's an obvious example where we got it wrong. We've used regulation. Regulation's important, but we should have stewardship incentives too. We should be, in fact, rewarding farmers for good environmental performance. The, the environment, if it's so important, should have a value attached to it. And we should, in fact, be encouraged our stewards to take better. And you know what? Most of them do. And a lot of them are passionate about taking care of the natural capital. And that's how we should look at it. We should be investing in, in regional universities and schools and TAFEs and other things because uh, services is the global economy. But that will only happen. 85% growth plus is always in services. But that's the digital side. And it's, it's a dream if you're still on 3G. And that's it for this Big Ideas. Our speakers were Professor Anne Tiernan, Dean of Engagement at Griffith University, and Professor John Cole, Pro Vice-Chancellor of Engagement at the University of Southern Queensland. Their more substantial titles and details are available on the Big Ideas homepage. Thanks to the Conversation website and Avid Reader for organising this discussion. Trust Me, I'm an Expert is a podcast from The Conversation. I'm Sananda Cray. Special thanks today to Paul Barclay and the team from RN's Big Ideas for recording and editing the discussion. You can see a full list of credits and sign up for our daily newsletter on our website at theconversation.com.